Please take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Taking a little break in our study of uh, Elisha and his life and ministry uh, to focus our hearts upon our Savior, his incarnation, uh, his love for us, and becoming a man. We begin a new little mini-series this morning, starting with John chapter 1, verse 14. We're also going to be flipping over to John chapter 17, verse 18. Hear God's word, John chapter 1. John writes, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now flip over to John chapter 17, verse 18. This is in the middle of Jesus' high priestly prayer, and he says these words, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Amen. This is God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask him to help us as we study his word. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've lavished upon us in sending your son into this world to save us from our sin and our misery. Lord, we thank you that not only were you sent, but you have sent us. And we ask that you would give us grace to understand more of what that means and what that should look like for us as your people. We thank you, O Lord, for all that you have done for us. Would you help us now by your spirit to understand and to apply your word in our lives? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I started studying the Bible and theology in earnest in high school and in college, I was regularly confronted with an attitude from other Christians around me that went something like this. Doctrine is useless. Doctrine doesn't help us one bit in living the Christian life or in loving our neighbor. All that that doctrine, all that theology, all that truth does is divide. All it does is puff us up with pride. It just gives someone who enjoys debating, enjoys studying, it gives them something to do with their, their time. Now, it's true that that when sinners handle the word of God, those sorts of things can, can sometimes occur. But as I was reading the Bible, I was seeing not a Jesus or the human authors of the Bible who affirm the uselessness of doctrine, but on the contrary, I, I was seeing Jesus and the apostles affirming clearly that doctrine was for life. Right? That theology was useful for all the day-to-day struggles that we all have, that that truth transforms. And that is particularly the case as we think about the truth of the incarnation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that the eternal Son of God took to himself a human body and a human soul. He came down to earth to live among his creatures In time and space, he became a man without ceasing to be God. This historical event of the incarnation, this profound and and wonderful truth, this, this mystery of which we've sung this morning, it's not merely to be believed, to be studied. Rather, it is to be applied. 
It is to be acted upon. It is to be lived out. It is to be used. And not the way that you might use a Christmas decoration that you take out of a Rubbermaid box that's come out of the attic and you stick it up on your mantle in December to look at and to enjoy it and you put it back in the box and back in the attic. No, God intends for his truth and particularly this truth of the incarnation to be used every day of our lives. Now imagine that there is a a high chance that most of you are going to receive at least one gift card for Christmas. And that means that there's some degree of chance that that you're going to experience that sinking feeling when you realize that you have lost that gift card. Now, if you've ever given someone a gift card, you probably haven't really thought too much about whether they use it, right? You don't worry about that. It's, once you've given it to them, it's their gift card, right? It's out of your mind. It, you know, if they use it, if they lose it, if they misplace it, if they give it to someone else, like, like you don't really care, right? But that's not the way that God is with the gifts that he gives us, right? And particularly this gift of the incarnation. No, not to use this gift. It's not just foolish, as it would be if you got like a $200 gift card to Shapley's and misplaced it in your junk drawer, right? It's not just foolish, but it's dishonoring to the father who sent his son, to the son who was sent, to the spirit who is intimately involved in the virgin conception in Mary's womb. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to to, to look together at several uses of the truth of the incarnation of Jesus. And we begin this morning with, with John chapter 1, verse 14, one of the clearest statements in all the Bible, of this glorious doctrine. John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When God saw his people mired in the muck of their sin, when he saw them suffering, the misery that their sin had caused, when they were enslaved by selfishness and by pride and by idolatry, God didn't just send messengers. God didn't merely Give us a book of sacred writings. No, he himself came into our world. He himself appeared in the person of his son to visit us in our distress, to share our sadness, to save us powerfully from our sin and our misery. The eternally existent son of God, who as John chapter one at the very beginning says, was with God and was God in the beginning through whom all things came into being, in whom was life, who was the light of men. The Son of God came and he tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He took up his residence here, even as God had pitched his tent in the midst of his people of old in the wilderness. And so Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. Why? Because he reveals the glory of God in human form as the unique, the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That's the glory of the incarnation. But here's an even more amazing thing. In the same way that the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends us. We saw it there, didn't we? In John chapter 17, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, Jesus says to his Father, so I have sent them into the world. What I want you to see this morning is that the incarnation of Jesus Christ speaks volumes to the way that you and I should engage in ministry to the people around us. 
For just as the Son made known the Father to all who saw him, so we who are members of the body of Christ, we who are united to Jesus Christ, members of Christ himself, we are to make known the Son to all who see us. He has sent us into the world, even as he was sent into the world, so that we might do the work of ministry. And that ministry is to be incarnational in every way. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? What is incarnational ministry, incarnational living? How does the incarnation inform our ministries that we have? How does it show us how to live as God's people in a broken and a hurting world? Well, as we meditate upon the incarnation of Jesus, I think there are at least three different habits that we see him create in us. And, and, and I'm going to give him all the, the, the first uh, letter I, right? Incarnation, here's three I's that describe these habits in a nutshell. First, intentional. Second, invested. And third, inconvenience. Let's look at these three things together this morning. First, intentional. Here's what I mean by that. We are called to take the initiative with other people. Think about the incarnation. It is the shining example of what the whole Bible is at pains to put on display. What Jonah learned when he was rescued in the depths of the sea by a great fish. And what was that truth that we see in Jonah chapter 2? Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. It is his idea. It is his accomplishment. God saves sinners ultimately by sending his son into the world to live and to die for his elect according to his intentional, purposeful plan at just the right time. How does Paul put it in Galatians chapter 4? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. See, God takes the initiative in the incarnation The incarnation is a rescue mission that God devised. He did not wait for us to find him. He did not wait for us to ask him to to send his son. Man sent no SOS, right? Indeed, we would much rather have just stayed in our sin, in our misery. But God intentionally, on purpose, draws near to us in our sin and our misery. He becomes flesh and dwells among us. And we see this, don't we, even as Jesus ministers on the earth. Yes, he's reactive at times, but don't we see him also being proactive, being intentional, taking the initiative with people? Think of how Jesus ministered to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman in John 4. Think about how he intentionally pointed out Zacchaeus up in that tree and said, you come down for I'm going to your house today. Think of how Jesus, after the resurrection, intentionally sought Peter out to restore him to himself. If God has sent his son, and if the son, while he was here on earth, lived with purpose, with plan, with intentionality and mission, then how much more ought we who have been sent by Jesus to live with that same intentionality, to live our lives on purpose, to live our lives on mission, to live our lives deliberately taking the initiative with those who are around us, with unbeliever and believer alike. For y'all, the world around us is hurting. It is lonely. It, It is in its sin. It is in its misery, longing for someone to even be with them, to be near to them, 
to listen to them, to care about them. And so we go intentionally into the world. We go where non-believers are. We go where those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ live and play, whether it's our families, whether it's our workplaces, whether it's our neighborhoods, our schools, our communities. We are intentional about embracing our calling as the witnesses of God, lighthouses, salt and light, influencers in our communities. We are intentional about striking up conversations with the lost about their lives, about their destinies, about their sufferings. We seek to make every effort to hear them, to understand them and the world, their world, their thinking that we might bring the gospel to bear in their hearts and their lives. Jesus came to, to do what? To seek and to save the lost. And he has sent us into the world to do the very same thing, to pursue the lost, even as we have been pursued by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be intentional with those who don't know Jesus. We're to be intentional with those who do know Jesus. We're to take the initiative even with our fellow believers. It's very easy, isn't it, to be focused upon our own struggles, our own suffering, to ignore the pain of those around us. Now, to be sure, all of us have real struggles. All of us have real needs that, that we need other people to be pursuing us, don't we? And yet, it seems to be the case that we ought to be interrupting each other to find out how can we serve one another? How can we be praying for one another? And so here, here's the point. Here's the question. Do you find yourself, as you go about life, do you, find, do you find yourself more like a leaf in a river meandering down the current, right? just being moved about aimlessly by the current of life as you live amongst unbelievers, live amongst believers? Or rather than a leaf in a river, do you find yourself like an Olympic downhill skier, right? intentionally picking her line to get to the finish line. God wants us to be intentional. The incarnation calls on us to, to be intentional, to take the initiative with others. This past week, I was speaking with one of our new members, and he told me how he had come to realize in the past couple of weeks that, that, that he was no longer a visitor. Right? He was now a member. He was now one who was called to welcome those who were visitors. In, in, in a word, in essence, he realized that he was no longer a guest. He was a host. He was a host. If you were the host, you, you act very differently than if you are a guest. I pray that the Lord Jesus would give all of us the heart of a host in this world. Right? That he would enable us to, to turn our raiders on that our radars would be on to see those in need around us, that he would give us eyes to see people in pain, ears to hear what people are maybe not saying, but it, it permeates everything in the background of what they're saying, that God would give us minds to discern how to speak a word in season, what to, to do or what to say, what's the best thing to do or say in every situation, and that he would give us mouths to probe, to challenge to encourage, to comfort with truth and grace. Even as our Savior come, came, he has sent us to be in this world with truth and with grace, with gentleness, with love, with compassion, even as Jesus has dealt with us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus took the initiative with you because he loved you. And the more you come to grasp how much he loves you, the more you will love others, the more you will take the initiative with others. So first, intentional. But second, 
invested. And what I mean by that is this. We, because of the incarnation, will be more and more willing to be deeply involved in others' lives. And of course, this second habit is closely related to the first. The incarnation doesn't merely call us to take the initiative with people, but it makes us willing to get deeply involved in others' lives. I love how the Apostle John puts it in, in his small little letters, 2 John and 3 John. He has similar verses that say essentially this, though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy might be made full. Now, of course, we can minister long distance to people. We can write letters. We can make phone calls. We can send texts. We can send money. Right? Lots of ways that we can minister from a distance. But, but John understood something incarnational, didn't he? Right? I don't want to just send a letter. I want to be with you. I want to be a part of your life physically. I want to be present in your life. Paul puts it beautifully in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 when he writes this, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our very own life because you had become very dear to us. Paul is saying ministry is about relationships. It's about Investing your life in someone, seeking not merely to bring the gospel of God to them, but doing that in the context of a deeply involved friendship. I'm giving you not only the gospel, but my own life because I love you, because you've become dear to me, because I have an affection for you. Ministry is an investment in, in knowing people and in being known by them. And of course, where did John and Paul learn what they write in these verses, but from Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? Jesus, who was intimately involved with people throughout his ministry. But let's be honest, incarnational ministry, invested ministry is not easy. Right? Because what happens when we become involved in, in relationships, deep relationships with other people? Well, it's sort of like gardening. If you ever did any gardening, you know you get the beauty, you get the, the blessing, the fruitfulness, but you also get the dirt. Right? You also get the pain that comes with gardening. And this is often the reason why we don't even take the initiative of the people in the first place, right? because we don't want to get involved in other people's lives. We don't want to have to deal with what we might find when we ask them questions about how they're doing. We don't really want to know how they're doing, because if we know, we might have to do something about how they're doing. Right? We might have to get our hands dirty with their sin, with their misery. But that's exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? God sent his son into this world and Jesus has sent us into the world so that we might get our hands dirty in ministry. Jesus did not minister at a distance, at an arm's length. Rather, he was intimately present with, he was involved in the suffering, the grief, even the sin of those to whom he ministered. Think about his ministry to the disciples, how long he had to endure their pride their selfishness, their constant arguments about, arguments about which one of them was the greatest. But even knowing their sin, he called them to himself. He lived with them. He ate with them. He traveled with them. He ministered to them, not on a surface level, right, but deeply, deeply, a deeply relational level that went to the very heart of, of who people were. Ministry, you see, it begins as we seek to know someone as we let them know us, 
as we do not shrink back at what we find in their lives and, and don't shrink back when they find out things about us. Right? Incarnational ministry is invested ministry. I want you to think back to the people who have ministered to you in this way. Think back to the, the people, perhaps you were a youth, perhaps you were in college, perhaps it was in young adulthood, perhaps it was even as you aged. Think to the people who have poured into you, who have loved you so much they imparted to you not only the gospel of God, but their very own lives. How they spent time with you, how they challenged you, how they listened to you pour out your heart, how they, they studied God's word with you, how they wrestled with truth with you, how they pointed you to Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we were down in Baton Rouge for the weekend. We got to see a couple of those people that had been that for me. And it was a blessing. I hadn't seen these folks in many years. One was a man, his name is Steve Birchfield. He was the one who, uh, when I was in high school, would supply me sort of like a, a dealer. Here's some R.C. Sproul. Here's some John Piper. Right? He, was, he was giving me things to read, giving me truth, giving me doctrine that, that I might feed my mind and grow as a young Christian. He opened his home to me. He would let me come in and wrestle with, with you know, these, these new things that I'm learning and, and, and how do they fit in with, with what our church teaches. And, and here we were, right, struggling with these things. He took me with him to a conference in 1996 to hear John Piper and R.C. Sproul speak at Independent Prez in Memphis. It's there that I met the Quasneys and other folks from Plain Presbyterian Church that sort of changed the trajectory of my life when I was introduced to the PCA. But to see Steve again and to think back on, man, Look at how you ministered to me. Look at how God used you in, in my life. We saw someone else, it's actually a couple. It was the parents of some of my best friends, uh, one of my best friends in college. They were in some ways like second parents to me. They loved me like I was their own son. They poured into me spiritually in unique ways. And, and to, to be with them again and to, to see how the Lord has continued to grow them up, right, what a blessing it was to remember how they had invested in me how they had been deeply involved in my life. We all have people like that, don't we? And the question that the incarnation puts before us is this, in whom will you invest? In whom will you, with whom will you spend time? In whose life will you be involved? Right? This is what Jesus is calling us. He's sending us out into the world that we might be deeply involved, that we might Listen, that we might love, that, that we might spend time bringing the word of God to bear in the lives of those around us so that Jesus, the incarnate Christ, might be known and loved and adored and trusted in through you, the servant of God. So this is what incarnational ministry looks like. It looks like investment in the lives of others. Well, finally, the third I, inconvenienced. And I mean this, we are willing, because of the incarnation, we are willing to suffer for the sake of others. Now, before I get there, let me just recognize that as I've been talking this morning, maybe you've been sitting there thinking, Caleb, this is impossible. Like, I cannot take the initiative. I cannot be deeply involved with everyone in my life. I don't have the time. I don't have the emotional energy. I don't have the physical energy. I can't be everywhere all at once. And there's at least two ways that, that I could respond to that. The first is this, you're right, you're right. And neither could Jesus, right? Yes, to be sure, right? As the divine son of God, he is always everywhere all at once. 
He is always, even when he was on earth, even when he was in the womb of Mary, he was always as the divine son of God, upholding the world by the word of his power. But according to his human nature, the incarnate son of God had the same 24 hours, the same physical body that you have. He could only be one place at one time. He could only have one conversation at a time. When he was in Samaria talking to the woman at the well, he was not in Jerusalem talking to Nicodemus. He made conscious choices to spend his time here and not there, there and not here. Jesus had to sleep. Jesus had to work. Jesus had to eat. Jesus got tired. And so there is an encouragement in the incarnation of Jesus as we seek to minister incarnationally. We cannot be everywhere at once. We cannot do everything. And so we must be present with whomever we are with. We must be present wherever we are. We must be present whenever we are there. And we must be sure, like our Savior, to intentionally rest, to intentionally retreat from the hustle and bustle of ministry, to intentionally spend time with our Heavenly Father in prayer. And so that's one way we can answer that question, that, that feeling of overwhelm, that this is too much. But there's a, a second way we can answer it, and it's what this third point is all about. Incarnational ministry is precisely about being inconvenienced. It's about suffering. It's about being willing to suffer, willing to be overwhelmed, even perhaps to the point of death. Never forget that Jesus became a man in order to die. God can't die, but man had sinned. And so man deserved to die in order that God's wrath might be meted out upon his sin. But the only way that sinners can be saved is if another sinner dies in their place. Jesus isn't a sinner, but our sin was reckoned to him. And he was punished for our sin. That's what we remember around the table this morning, isn't it? The incarnation is for propitiation. There's another big Bible word. Propitiation to, to appease the wrath of God. Jesus, by laying down his life, satisfied God's wrath against the sins of all of those whom the Father had given him before the foundation of the world. He died on the cross as our substitute, as our sacrifice. Jesus became a man in order to die. And if Jesus, by his sacrifice, has purchased redemption, then don't you see that, that we, by our sacrifices, are called to make that redemption known to others. In the same way that there were great difficulties that Jesus had to overcome to bring salvation to sinners, so there will be difficulties that you, that, that I, will, will meet, will encounter as we seek to spread that salvation abroad. The heart of the Christian life is sacrifice. It is being inconvenienced. It is suffering. What does Jesus say to us? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That call to discipleship is the heart of, of ministry. I said this in another context. I don't think I said it here, but you've probably heard the, uh, the, the saying about breakfast, right? The chicken was involved. The pig was committed. Okay? So we are called to be the pig. We are called to give our lives, to give our lives 
away. Intentional ministry, invested ministry, inconvenience ministry. This, this incarnational ministry is about being committed unto suffering for the salvation of others, about being inconvenienced for the good of other people, about suffering even as Jesus suffered for us and for our salvation. I have no doubt that you will receive something for Christmas this year that the giver wants you to use. And if you were to, to receive that thing and to leave it in the box, to pull it out every once in a while and sort of gaze on it and look at it, wow, that's a great gift. But you were never to use it, right? There would be something wrong with you. The same is true with the incarnation. God designs for us to use it, to not just stick it up on a shelf in a box and, and look at it, but to unbox it, to use it for his glory, to use it the way God intended it to be used. Brothers and sisters, as you go forth into the world, as you go forth amongst one another this week, may the Lord give us grace to live out the incarnation of Jesus in our own lives, to, to go into the world sent by the Savior who was sent, pursuing as you have been pursued, investing in as Jesus has invested his life for you, being inconvenienced as Jesus has suffered for you. May God use us for his glory. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for sending your Son, the Spirit, we pray that the words that we've seen here in your Scripture of who our Savior was as the God-man and what that meant for him, oh Lord, we pray that as we are sent into the world that you would transform us by your truth and by your grace and that you would transform us together as the body of Christ, that together, oh Lord, we might seek to live out this incarnational ministry to one another, to the lost. God, we pray that you would be glorified, that you would glorify your son, even as we go forth from this place, strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, not in our own selves. Lord, we are sinners, and we pray that you would forgive us, even for the ways that we have been selfish toward one another, even in the ways that we have been self-centered in how we spend our time. Father, would you continue to mold us and to shape us, to transform us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. So Lord, it's in his name we pray. Amen.